It's week 21 of 2018 and also happens to be our 50th podcast episode here. So Don and I are back in the studio to give you all the news this week. We've got some uh, stories from Microsoft about their updates as well as news about the VPN filter that could be affecting your router. And stay tuned at the end. We're going to give you a special tour of some of the behind the scenes here in the studio. That's all coming up on the 50th TechNado starting right now. Hello and welcome to the Technado, and it's a very, very special Technado, and not just because we have Don and myself back together, got the dream team back after <laughs> after two weeks of uh, you know the the B team. Basically Sometimes you, you have in. to see other people. Yeah, and, yeah, and and it didn't work out. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is our semi centennial episode. Uh, number 50 in the books. Congratulations, sir. You know, I, I feel like we've accomplished something. I I didn't think we could create mediocre tech news 50 times in a row, and yet somehow we managed to achieve that goal. Yeah, it's uh, it's all about setting attainable goals. <laughs> and uh, I think at this pace, um, there's nothing stopping us from 60. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll definitely make it to 51. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so this is week uh, 21 of 2018, and we've got uh, quite a bit of news uh, to get to, some some strange things, strange topics this week. So let's uh, let's go ahead and, and jump right on in. So uh, this is actually a uh, an update from a story that was discussed last week when, uh, when Wes and Don were here about uh, how Windows was uh, postponing rolling out some things, uh, and it looks like they have now released Windows 10 build, uh, 17.134.81 uh, with fixes. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, it does. It's I like I like how they stop giving them names. You know, like <laughs> Vista. Well, th this actually is the what, what they're calling the April update. Okay. So I, I don't know why Neowind didn't bother to uh, put that name in there, at least in the title. Well, for for my benefit. Uh, so this has the fixes for Intel and Toshiba uh, solid state drives. So. Uh, this is important, I imagine, for people with those devices to go ahead and, and be able to update now. Yeah, you know, the, the big spring update, a lot of people were excited about it. And last week we reported on this about how Microsoft actually had to pull back the update from people who had uh, Intel and Toshiba SSDs. The main problem being that halfway through the update, the system would go to a black screen and it wouldn't reboot, and it wouldn't give you any option to restore. You were just dead in the water, and if you had backups, you could restore, but otherwise you were just screwed, which is not exactly the upgrade experience that Microsoft tries to create. They try to screw you through other creative ways. So uh, in this case, they finally did fix the bug. They've pushed out a new update, and now it's rolling again forward for Intel and Toshiba SSD owners. If you don't have an Intel or Toshiba SSD, then the update was moving along fine for you all along. Uh, I know, if, like, for me and my computer at home, I have a Samsung disk, uh, so that one had already taken the update. But everybody else is getting it, and to my knowledge, I don't think the update's being withheld on any hardware platforms at this point, so it's all rolling forward again. Fantastic. Now, what, what do we look forward to, the, the May update? Yeah, the in, May banking holiday update. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's going to end up like the uh, UK government, where they have really lame names for holidays. Hey, speaking of which, I'm sorry, but happy GDPR Day oh, to you. Yeah, I didn't even yep, get a chance yep. to tell you. It's uh, uh, you know, we're filming this earlier, but by now, all of you watching this, it's GDPR time, and 
Oh, I'm just getting word the entire internet has been fined uh, billions of dollars or well, pounds, I guess. You know, I, I hung my stocking last night, mm-hmm. and I have over 700 right to be forgotten notices in there already. So uh, it's a definitely exciting times. So. Yeah, from all the women I knew. <laughs> it's <laughs> but, amazing. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Speaking of SAS, uh, we've got this this great article <laughs> that you're yeah you're you're pretty excited about, Don. I know uh, this is on Computer World uh, UK. Speaking of GDPR, uh, OpenSAS, uh, it says Ubuntu Red Hat drama erupts at OpenStack. So uh, essentially what we've all been waiting for, the latest spinoff of The Real Housewives uh, of uh, open source has has reared its ugly head here. So what happened? Yeah, so, you know, a bunch of the, the various CEOs of Linux companies uh, just got completely drunk and screamed at each other. Uh, you know, it, it was crazy madness. Uh, actually, it was it was... I don't know, it was kind of exciting from a uh, Linux enthusiast side, but there's several big Linux distributions that are out there. Uh, in the commercial space, though, there's really only a couple Linux distributions that operate. Uh, the biggest ones being Red Hat with Red Hat Enterprise Linux, or RHEL, uh, and then there's a, a Canonical with their distribution called Ubuntu. You also have like SUSE Linux and a few others that are out there. For a company, if you're deploying Linux as a platform, you need to be able to get technical support. You need to have a company that stands behind that, and that limits the amount of products. You don't see a lot of companies rolling forward with uh, CentOS and, and other distributions like that just because there's no there's no like corporate entity standing behind those platforms to ensure there's going to be support available. So when you see a dust-up between the commercial companies, it's always kind of neat because a lot of open-source projects rely on their community, rely on people sharing information, but when you have commercial entities... They don't always like to share. And right now we're seeing that in the OpenStack environment where Red Hat and Canonical are both dumping a ton of money, a ton of funding and time into the OpenStack environment. And so uh, uh, Mark Shuttleworth, he is the CEO of Canonical. He was up talking about Ubuntu and their investments in OpenStack. And one of the things he opened with at the very beginning was saying that uh, Red Hat was kind of being held back or holding people back because they're so expensive. And someone in the audience actually yelled out, fact check, you know, like, hey, you don't have any numbers to back that up. Because Ubuntu, I, I know most people think Ubuntu is completely free. Ubuntu is actually fairly expensive itself. That if you get the free version of Ubuntu, you can install it. It'll run fine. Even the server platform, it'll run fine. Uh, but if you have a problem, you can't call Canonical, right? They make money when you buy a support contract from them. And dollars for dollars, it ends up being about the same cost as Red Hat. And if you're using an OpenStack deployment, all of your virtual infrastructure is running on top of that platform. You definitely want that support to be available. So, uh, so they got in a bit of a spat. The Red Hat team, I was really hoping for like some kind of like cutting, sarcastic yeah. return, and and they just said, uh, hey, you know, different platforms operate different ways, and we're working to make the platform stable. They they took the high road. Ugh, how uh, dare so, they? Uh, it wasn't a missed opportunity. It wasn't like the T-Mobile ads, you know, where the CEO is basically just saying, "Look, AT and T is crap. T-Mobile is awesome." It, it wasn't quite like that, but it was fun to see a little bit of uh, ruffled feathers in that space, and we'll we'll see what comes out of it. Maybe a, a fun rivalry. I love the Sprint ones where they they basically say we're only one percent worse than than these guys. You know, the Sprint ones. Do you remember the commercial where uh, the CEO he's like walking through the park in the city and. You can tell he's got a $2,000 trench coat on. He's got a scarf. But he he's trying to say, I'm just like you guys. <laughs> you know, I, I walk through Central Park surrounded by security staff just like you guys. And and I want a, I want a cell phone service that works. 
just like you guys. It, 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 it totally alienated the, the target audience for the commercial. Yeah. Yeah. That's good times. I do love that the <laughs> new heckle now is basically the you know, fake news, essentially, yeah. at whoever's on stage. It's, uh, it's worked. The, well, you know, it, you could do it. You could do it like in the political debates where you just stand there and go, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the British Parliament forum where they you just kind of yell. Oh, question day. Yeah. Question day is awesome. You just scream at each other. Yeah, that's that's we, the way it, it should always be. Maybe we'll try that format next week. <laughs> I'll, I'll do that during the next story here. Uh, except, oh, wait, no, I don't know anything about this topic. Uh, Maria DBTX. Well, I, you don't really have to know the about the topics one, yeah. Yeah, uh, to, to heckle. That's the point of heckling. Uh, Maria DBTX uh, 3.0 delivers first enterprise open source database to beat Oracle, Microsoft, and IBM, which, I mean, that sounds like an easy task. Absolutely. This, I mean, so this should do it, right? It's, uh, it's like those three fa- little foundling yeah. companies, Microsoft, Oracle, and IBM. Uh, so this article, I, I, would, I was kind of excited to see. Uh, this is on DevOps.com. Uh, MariaDB is an interesting database because of its history, right? Uh, most people are familiar with MySQL, and you may or may not be familiar with MariaDB. MySQL is considered to be a free database, but it's actually controlled by Oracle, and you can do commercial support with it. So you can pay to have MySQL. It's controlled by Oracle. All the development is controlled by Oracle. And a few years ago, Oracle kind of ticked off the developer community. And so a good bit of that community broke off. Uh, MySQL was open source at the time. And so they said, you know what? We're going to take that source code. We're going to fork it. And we're going to create MariaDB. And they did. And so today, you can run MariaDB or MySQL, you can run them side by side, and they're completely compatible with each other, right? So there's really not a big motivating factor to run one versus the other unless you want commercial support. Well, MariaDB is now introducing commercial support, and that's part of their MariaDB TX line. And with MariaDB TX 3.0, this is the first time they've really introduced new features that set it apart from MySQL because otherwise you just said, hey, if I'm going to buy commercial support, I'll get it through Oracle and MySQL. It's a bigger company. They have more resources. Let's just do it that way. Uh, but MariaDB is starting to distance themselves from that and start to roll out some new features. Uh, it is big competition against somebody like Microsoft, where the Microsoft SQL Server is incredibly expensive. Uh, Oracle's actual database server, the, the Oracle uh, iPlatform, that one is insanely expensive versus something like MariaDB TX, which is actually pretty cost effective and any company can afford it. So uh, so pretty neat to see that. As far as the new features, they kind of highlight some of them. Uh, easy temporal data processing. What that means is if you want to see how a table looks today and compare it to how the table looked a week ago or a month ago, in the past you had to do like snapshots and various row versioning and it was a nightmare. Now that's built into the table system, so that's pretty cool. You can easily vary, uh, view tr- uh, trends and deleted data. You can pull that back. Um, the, the feature they highlight is the perfect database every time. It just means you have various choices in your database format. Normally with MySQL, you had a choice between doing uh, InnoDB and uh, Column Store were kind of the two formats that they used. In MariaDB TX 3.0, they now have support for MyRox and Spider are kind of built in. Uh, each one is optimized for a different type of database. So if you have heavy write operations or heavy read operations, you need to scale really large, you can choose the right format. And more importantly, you can do it all inside of the same schema. So you might have one database that contains tables that are all stored in different formats. And that's really cool. 
Uh, I know like Microsoft SQL doesn't let you do that. You get one format to store things in. And even in MySQL, you only have a couple of choices by default. So that, that's going to set them apart and give people a, a real big reason of why they'll start to do business with them and allow MariaDB to, to develop more fully into its own product. So cool to see that growing. And uh, if anybody had doubts on it, MariaDB, it's definitely, it's definitely production ready. And you can roll that out and, and uh, cast off your Oracle shackles and get out there and, I don't know, database stuff. Yeah, and I would <laughs> I would have called you out there for any fact errors, but that uh, that seemed on point. And, and of course, uh, this was named after um, Russian tennis star Maria Sharapova, um, as was we it? all— See, that, that's your opportunity to fact check me. I have no idea. No, I have no idea. But I believe I, you. I did go to the website uh, while you're, we were looking, and it's, uh, it's some sort of seal uh, instead of— I don't, I don't well, know. Well, that is way lamer. Yeah. It's, I, I was yeah. like, is there a seal named Maria? Maybe, uh, you know, they said, hey, that penguin did well uh, for that other yeah, open source thing. True. Let's, let's, what other adorable marine creature is there that, uh, are seals adorable though? They're kind of gross. The baby ones are. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever, uh, gone to a club with a baby seal? No. No. Yeah. It's fun to go clubbing. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Might have to fact check that one. Let's shift gears now <laughs> as well. Uh, this is big news that is, is scaring the Internet um, uh, because of headlines like we'll see in a, in a few moments here. But uh, first, let's get to the facts. Um, so Cisco has, uh, has announced that VPN filter malware has infected 500,000 network devices. And uh, this, we, we talk a lot about these attacks that we see headlines for where it's like, it really affects a, a couple hundred people. Um, that, that's a lot of network devices and uh, uh, something that it sounds like there's like a kill switch that they can turn off your device. Yeah. So what, what's going on is uh, uh, malicious actors, you know, some kind of threat agents. They, uh, they found a flaw in firmware that's used by a, a number of different devices. And actually, it's not one flaw. It's a, kind of like a collection of flaws uh, that they've bundled together into this one malware called VPN filter. And it targets not just Cisco equipment, it targets TP-Link, Linksys, uh, Netgear, Microtic, or Microtic, however you say that, uh, and several other different vendors are all kind of wrapped up in this. Uh, Cisco's name keeps getting attached to it because it was the Cisco Talos group that discovered it. That's their virus research team. It's, but it's not actually, it's the part that I think is ironic, it doesn't actually target any Cisco equipment. Uh, I mean, you could well, say. Well, of course, they'll publicize it then. Hey, look what we found. Yeah, We're it, still safe. Well, although I will say that Cisco did own Linksys for a period of time, yeah. and Linksys is targeted, but they, they sold it off to Belkin a while ago. Um, but yeah, the, the, the targeted list is here, I'll, I'll read it from the article Linksys, Netgear, TP Link, and Microtic or Microtic. I, I need to learn how to say that one. I'm not sure on that one. But uh, the big problem here is the flaws have, have been known for a while. And there's actually updates that patch for all of the flaws for all of the platforms. But these type of devices get deployed in homes, small home, uh, small office, home office type environments, and the people aren't updating the systems. So the malware is spread, and it's compromised over 500,000 network devices. And the malware is actually written really well. It gives the attacker the ability to... Uh, run a network sniffer so they can intercept all of your traffic and send it somewhere else. So, you know, very good for eavesdropping. It's got a toolkit in it for doing man-in-the-middle attacks. And so it can modify your traffic in transit. And then the kill switch that, that Peter mentioned, they can actually just cut off your Internet access with the flip of a switch. And then that's that. Uh, you know, you lose your Internet access. There's 500,000 or over 500,000 affected devices. So imagine 
500,000 people just all of a sudden losing internet access, just like that, right? That's what can be done with this type of attack. And it, it just reinforces how people really need to update their their uh, their systems. And if you're not, it, you know, it's easy to forget about these things. If you're not updating them, then you're going to be susceptible to, to things like this. All right. Now, uh, another article we have that's on this same topic is from the Hacker News. Uh, it's kind of a follow-up here that the FBI seizes uh, control of a, of a massive botnet that infected over 500,000 routers. So um, basically, it sounds like they went out and bought a domain that was referenced in the in the malware that uh, they were targeting traffic through, and and so by owning that domain, they can um, change what happens when people right. hit that site. So the uh, the Cisco Talos Group, they're the ones who discovered this. They shared the information with the FBI before before sharing it with the rest of us. Right, they, Cisco just announced this yesterday morning, and you know that hey, we discovered this, but they had contacted the FBI prior, so they did an analysis of the malware and found that it was using a, a C2 or a command and control server that was tied to a domain, and the FBI was able to seize that domain and bring up their own server to take control over it. And by doing that, by seizing control of that domain, and I don't know that they actually did bring up their own server, but I do know they took control of the domain, that by getting that domain, now the attackers can't leverage the botnet. So while the botnet does exist, the, the over 500,000 routers, they are still affected, the attackers can't use it. The FBI can, which I guess might yeah, be I was going to say, problem. yeah, yeah, the attackers <laughs> depends so, on. So the who problem you are. is not fixed, but the risk has kind of been removed, right? It's like a gun without a trigger at this point. Uh, it, uh, it's, it's just changed gun. hands. <laughs> it, 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 the trigger is out there, yeah, right? The trigger, so, the um, out there. but yeah, that was an interesting follow up, and you know that that announcement came out the, the same day. So it's not like the FBI just woke up that morning and found out about it, and then all of a sudden solved the, the miracle that afternoon. It, it's been a process that's been worked through for quite some time. So help me kind of follow this then, because if there, there was a vulnerability that existed and allowed um, allowed these bad actors to be able to put this malware uh, on these various machines. That malware pointed to a specific URL. That URL has been you know now now changed, but has the the you said the back door has been closed, so they can't just go back in and and put something new on there. Well, so in, in theory they could, right? Well, it's been they, patched, they, but it hasn't necessarily been so rolled out by everyone. They would have to write a new version of the virus and push that out and wait for it to infect the machines. And at this point, it's being caught by network devices, and it's not making it out there. So you kind of get one go at this stuff. And you see this with a lot of malware where they hard-code a domain name in so that they can point it to servers and, and take control. Uh, and then they don't give some kind of backup. Like, okay, if you can't get to that server, move to this next one or, or whatever, or some way to update that automatically. And so they, they just get one shot. And in this case, at least, they've, they've blown their one shot. Yeah, and uh, what was interesting to me in this, in this article, it mentions that um, it is believed that it was designed by Russian, uh, uh, well, it says Russian-baked state-sponsored. I assume that means Russian-backed. Yeah. Um, so let's... Uh, <laughs> Russian-baked. There's, there's nice. one for editing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, home and, uh, Russian, Russian-made uh, baked goods, uh, state-sponsored group, uh, and a possible effort to cause havoc in Ukraine. Because just think, if you're able to turn off 500,000 devices and and uh, and take away people's access to the internet, I mean, if you can't post to Instagram in the Ukraine, chaos ensues, martial law, yeah. and they. Uh, you know, greet their new overlords as, as saviors. I almost view it as being done a favor. Like, thank you for sparing me from uh, Instagram. <laughs> Wait, you're saying I don't have to go to work today? The internet's down? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, thank you. Yeah, but it was interesting. And, and this is a, a good example, though, of how there are a lot of agencies that are working to kind of 
stop this stuff, kind of cut it in its tracks. But something new will come out tomorrow. It, it's just such a, a rapidly changing world. And it's also a great example of, of what Don loves, which are <laughs> uh, just ridiculous clickbait headlines. And uh, and we've got one from Gizmodo on this, uh, this story that just it checks all the boxes. Uh, nation state hackers could self-destruct half a million routers, researchers warn. At least I'll give Gizmodo, they, they've got the editing down. That, you know, yeah. nothing, nothing was Russian baked. Uh, but, you know, that's, I, that's a little frightening. If I walk into a room and I flip the light switch, right, and turn the lights off, I didn't just self-destruct the lights, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's really yeah. what they're saying. Yeah, here. you could still turn the lights back, yeah. back on. And you know what? If you reboot that router, I bet you its internet comes back yeah. on. Like, that's that's all that takes. So, uh, yeah, this one... and. Half a million sounds way better than 500,000. So, yeah, definitely a crap the headline. And just so you guys know, when, when we find news articles to talk about, sometimes it's a challenge for us because we have to find a, a reputable news source, first off. that That's hard sometimes. Sometimes it's the register.uk, and that's, yeah. <laughs> um, but then the second thing is to find one that hasn't sensationalized the headline. And so we normally skip over these, but this one was so ridiculous that I, I yeah. just had to had to bring that one up. It's uh, Yeah, it's and we'll typically try to actually... Uh, click in the article and find the source that they're getting the source from and, and go right there so um, we can kind of cut out that that middleman. Um, all right, so next up, uh, sticking in this kind of security topic and, and wireless topic, actually, uh, this article on TechCrunch uh, that Comcast is, well, now it says update, was um, leaking the names and passwords of customers' wireless routers, which, I mean, y- you leak the name of your router anyway, don't you? That's You do, yeah. Well, let me let me give you a story here, and this is kind of like a, okay. almost a worst case scenario. Um, I I hate it when the cable provider or fiber or whoever provides you with the, a wireless network, right? And the reason is they're not really doing it for your benefit. Like, oh, hey, Peter, I'm going to run cable high speed internet in your house, and I'm going to give you a free wireless network. They're not doing it for you. They're doing it for the other customers. You just became a hotspot for any Comcast customer that's in that area. And in big cities, they'll have entire apartment buildings where uh, you can walk through the whole building just jumping from Comcast hotspot to hotspot. And if you're a Comcast customer, you can use all of those networks. That's the idea is that they're creating these really large networks by using you as kind of that, that you know one piece in that puzzle. Well, in Florida, there was a case several years ago about how a, uh, there was a, a guy who was transmitting uh, child pornography. And he was doing it by pulling his, you know, it, it was a van, so now we get a vision of the, of the uh, cargo van. Uh, but uh, it was a van that he would pull up to various people's houses that had unsecured wireless networks, and he would use their networks. And so when the FBI was tracking back the IP addresses, it was going to these random people. And so they were doing raids on houses, and there was nothing there. Yeah. Uh, and it took a while before they were finally to put the pieces together and find out about this van that they had sightings, and then they caught the guy. And so when you have a wireless network like this, if you're not the only one that controls it, then in theory, anybody could pull up in your front yard, or if you're in an apartment, they could be upstairs or downstairs, and they could jump onto that wireless network. Well, Comcast and the other providers, uh, AT&T is really big into this, they say, well, it's protected because it's got a password. Not just any random person can jump on it. It would have to be one of our customers. And then if they have to have a password, then that's how we can track them. Well, unfortunately, the Comcast website had a flaw, and it was leaking the wireless names and the wireless passwords in plain text. That they had a field where you could go as the customer and say, 
oh, I wonder what my password is. And you could fill out this form and it would tell you. It was designed for if you just got service activated. Well, any attacker could go to that form and just start guessing values and it would turn out what the password was. Like it, it was transmitting that in plain text. And that is a big problem because now you could have somebody malicious who's able to jump on that network and you don't even know it. And now if they start doing illegal activity, it tracks back to your IP. And for that reason, for every internet connection I've had for the last, I don't know, probably eight years, whenever I get a new connection running, the first thing I do is I disable their wireless. I bring up my own. I don't, I don't want wireless service provided by the, the provider. I want it provided by me because I can control it and maintain that access, change the password, and so on. But that's me. You've got millions upon millions of uh, parents, grandparents, non-technical people that they love having free Wi-Fi. It's part of their service. They pay for it. Why would they turn that off? And here's a great example where it kind of comes around to bite you. So Comcast did it, you know, not Comcast not known for the greatest customer experience. Uh, although I, I use them out in Seattle, had no problems with them all, but I, I know a lot of people really, really dislike Comcast. But yeah, uh, yeah this is this is another example of where sometimes Sometimes a deal is a little too good to be true, and and when it comes to these these broadband wireless networks, it's usually a problem. And nothing in life is free. And there's right. there's your reasoning. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, um, we have a uh, a security story now that it's something that uh, this is uh, someone we've talked to at a couple of uh, different events at RSA, I think a couple of times, and maybe at CES when we went a couple of years ago. But uh, YubiKey is the little device uh, you can plug into your computer and uh, basically authenticate and, and have another uh, another way to authenticate yourself and, and access your files. And now they've got a way you can actually authenticate iOS 11 apps. So um, it's a little key fob you can actually see in the photo there. But, uh, but Don, is this something that I have to then use each time I, like if I'm going to my, my bank uh, app, for example? So... Basically, what, what happened here, it, it, this is actually kind of a series of events that led to this point. Um, I love the YubiKey. I, I use it all the time. In fact, the, the one they're showing in the picture here, let me dig in my pocket. Um, you probably I, have. I, I actually have that exact same YubiKey. That, that's the one that I use. And basically, it works great on your computer. Whenever you need to punch in a password, instead of punching in a password, you plug in your YubiKey, you tap the little button, and it logs you in. And they're one-time passwords, so if somebody intercepts it, it doesn't matter. It's already been used. That password is gone, and you're, you're safe and clear, right? So really, really great system that's dependent on plugging into a USB port. Well, you don't have a USB port on your phone. You, maybe you have like a on-the-go cable or something like that, but on the iPhone especially, you don't have that at all. You have a stupid lightning port. So... <laughs> You haven't been able to use the YubiKey on those phones. On Android phones, a lot of them have NFC connections. And so YubiKey rolled out the, the YubiKey Neo, which is, is what I have, the little Neo key. And it has an NFC chip in it. So on an Android phone, I could use my Neo my USB key where when it would go to authenticate, I could just tap the key to the phone. That would authenticate it. If somebody stole my phone, I didn't care. Well, I mean, I cared, but they couldn't get at my data because I still had my YubiKey. They would have to have that as well to be able to get into it, an extra level of security. Well, when the iPhone 6 came out, they introduced an NFC chip in the iPhone. But it was just to talk to the Apple Watch and to do Apple Pay, right? So it was part of the Apple Pay ecosystem. And with the iPhone 7, it was the same way. And with the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10, it was the same way. It was locked just to Apple Pay. 
Well, Apple finally opened up the SDK for the NFC communications, and now they're allowing third parties to use it. But nobody's really done it. YubiKey, to my knowledge, is the first to actually come to market with a feature to do this. And so now, if you're a LastPass customer and you have an iPhone, you can actually use your YubiKey Neo to authenticate. So every time you open up your LastPass vault, instead of having to type in your crazy master password, which is a pain, you would go to open your LastPass vault, you would take your key and tap it. You don't even have to tap the, the Neo button because NFC, you just tap it to the phone, it detects it, and it unlocks the vault. So that becomes your key to open it up. And I think it is awesome to be able to finally leverage that NFC chip in the phone to its fullest uh, versus just for Apple Pay, which, I mean, granted, is still a, a really cool feature, but it's nice to be able to use it in other places. And uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about um, YubiKey from Yubico, uh, I don't know if, if uh, Brad, you can show my screen here, but uh, we did talk to them back at RSA 2017. And if you uh, just go into YouTube and search IT Pro TV Yubico, it's the first result that comes up. Oh, cool. Well, because but yeah we actually talked to the uh, CEO and co-founder whose name I won't try to uh, to butcher right now Stina just yeah I was go gonna do the last name one thing I will mention though is if uh, if you're excited about this if you already have a YubiKey Neo um, you actually don't turn this on in the app you, you'd think oh I fire up the app on the iOS, iOS phone and I turn it on there you actually have to go go to your desktop and open up your LastPass vault and go into your settings there. It's under the advanced settings for authentication. So you turn it on from your desktop app. And then once that's turned on, then you go into your mobile phone app and you'll have that support available in there and you can turn it on. So a little confusing. I know I had a bit of a problem figuring out how to get it turned on for me uh, when I first took a stab at it. So just uh, hopefully that saves some of you five minutes of Googling. Sounds good. Nice when uh, when you get to use all the functions that exist in your phone. And um, speaking of, of Apple products and uh, and speaking of hardware, uh, we've got uh, our next store here on digitaltrends.com. Uh, Apple store hints that you shouldn't buy a new MacBook Pro until after WWDC, a worldwide developer conference, which is coming up. And so sounds like uh, they're, they're kind of hinting that there's going to be some, some changes, some significant changes that maybe... Uh, you're going to want to wait and wait and see what they've got. This is always the tough part. I know we had um, back in March, there were several of us that needed new laptops, including myself. And uh, there was a rumor that Apple was going to release some new MacBook Pros. And we, we use MacBook Pros here for most of our systems. So uh, there was that debate of, I need a laptop, but I could wait. And let me wait for the March announcement and make sure that, that you know, they don't release a new MacBook and then I'll buy. Uh, in the March announcement this year, they just released cheaper iPads. Uh, There's really nothing spectacular there. So still, if you're waiting for WWDC, it does look like they're going to be doing new MacBook Pros or some kind of refresh. I've heard various rumors. I'm really curious to see what happens. For me, my big challenge has been... Unless they release one that does more than 16 gigs of RAM, I don't have a, a big need to update. If they could release one with 32 gigs of RAM, but there's a lot of power management problems that they're up against on that. So it'll probably be a processor refresh uh, and maybe some storage updates you know, as they move to bigger storage sizes. We'll see. But on the RAM side, I think they're still going to be held to 16 gigs because they haven't overcome the, the power problem of DD, uh, DDR4 memory. Uh, but, but we'll see. Uh, and that that's coming up, which actually is kind of in our, our next article here, which is uh, WWDC is confirmed for June 4th. And uh, that that's just, I mean, that that's next week? Week, week after? I think. Week after next. Yeah, it, it's coming right up. 
And if you're a developer, in the past you had two choices. One, you could luck out and get to go to WDC, which would be a lot of fun. Uh, your second option was if you were a developer, you had an Apple developer account, you could log, log in and watch the live stream. Well, this year, they've opened up the live stream to everyone. So everyone will be able to go to Apple's website and watch the event on June 4th. And that's another kind of hint. Why would they let everyone watch it unless they were announcing some product that yeah. everybody could buy, right? Uh, it's a given that they'll announce new versions of iOS, new versions of macOS. Uh, we'll probably see macOS 10.14 get announced. We'll see. Uh, they, they get announced. They don't usually release until later in the year, but at least you'll get a better idea of what that roadmap is going to be like. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. A lot of people are speculating about other devices, like an iPhone SE 2 coming out. I don't know that any of that will happen. But because of, of certain moves that are going on on the uh, Apple Store right now, it seems pretty likely that we're going to see new MacBook Pros. Because normally when they do their big announcements in, what, like October, mm -hmm. th that's open for anyone to watch. So because maybe they missed a, a date or something in, for the earlier one, and that's why they're putting it to uh, WWDC. So maybe yeah. that's why they're doing And with, this. with WWDC, it's, it's usually predominantly software updates, yeah. right? Because the developers need time to get their software to work with the new version of macOS or to work with the new version of iOS. And so that's kind of its purpose. But this year, it looks like we'll get a, a round of hardware announcements. Do you think maybe it's, uh, it's an old USB uh, dock <laughs> or thing they're going to put a on A whole there? new range of dongles yeah, no, that they'll have on sale. We've, they've actually now integrated the dongle into the device. No so way. So you can... Uh, Revolutionary. Yeah. You can't even see the dongle. It just looks like a port on the oh, side I of the like laptop. That. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that way we can just both agree that we were wrong and move move forward. Uh, I will say, though, for those of you interested, um, uh, like like Don said, it is June 4th, and my birthday is June 5th. Um, so it gives you an opportunity to uh, pre-order pre whatever um, it is that is announced and uh, and send it here. And for all of you who are working to steal Peter's identity, you're one step closer. Yeah. Well, my mother, <laughs> um, uh, her maiden name, she's, uh, she's uh, Polish uh, and Irish. No, I, I'm not going to. Yeah. Her <laughs> and Peter's social security number, by the way. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, speaking of, uh, of the FBI, uh, <laughs> they, already, they already know all my stuff. But uh, well, I, was, I was at a uh, government conference last week, too, and so... Yeah, they were listening to everything. We were, we were actually creating ads targeting the NSA at a certain point. So nice. Bad news. Bad news. <laughs> uh, so the FBI used fake statistics to sell its need for encryption backdoors. I know that's something we've talked a lot about. Um, I think specifically more with the iPhone. Um, we've talked about some of the cases that have come up where um, investigators have wanted to get into a device, and there's been that question of, um, do we force Apple to create a, a backdoor to let us in? Um, what, what is that process? So uh, in trying to basically say why they needed that, uh, that backdoor, they claim there were 7,800 devices waiting to be cracked, uh, and now, now they're blaming that on a programming error. Um, that it was just uh, 1,200 devices. So, you know, that, that happens all the time. 7,800, 1,200, it's... Yeah, you're just off by... I, I hit the 7,800 key, yeah. the 1,200 key. Off by a significant amount there. Um, now, I've worked with Excel, and <laughs> I, I could see making a mistake sure. like this, yeah. right? Uh, but here it is a little bit convenient. The, you know, the mistake certainly went in their favor. But uh, you know, when they were making this big push for the encryption backdoors, I made the comment about how like other countries have done this, and I really just didn't think America or the United States of America would get to that point that we would mandate the government have backdoors into our data. You know, it's, it's not. 
I, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or Democrat, like that's just not, not right. Yeah. Um, when they overstate numbers like this, not just by, not like twice as much or three times as much. I mean, this is six times the actual amount. That's pretty significant. Um, and it shows how, uh, maybe, maybe they need some better Excel training yeah. or, uh, maybe, maybe they're just trying really hard to get those back doors and doing whatever it can to, to push it through. We'll, we'll have to see on that one. But. Yeah. You think you would have just rounded and said thousands then or something. Thousands, or, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess it's not even thousands, it's thousand and a little bit more, but just to play devil's advocate, nowhere in the constitution that our founders put that we have the right to have protection from, um, back doors and in hardware and, and software. Yeah. So, well, in in the the founding fathers' defense, I don't think they anticipated the iPhone uh, or <laughs> any of the things that we have today. I don't think they thought uh, it was going to cost as much. Yeah, that, and that that's the hard part, or hard hard job of like anybody involved in constitutional law, or even politicians for that matter. Even if you hate politicians, they do have a, a really a difficult job to juggle. That uh, you know, the founding fathers had a much simpler world that they were building rules around. And now we have to interpret and change and, and figure out what the spirit was and, and make decisions in areas that are, are very different than what they had back then. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a weird, it's a weird world we live in, balancing safety and privacy like we are. And to, uh, to just drive that point home further, we have our last story of the day. But, and, and do stay tuned, though. I know uh, normally we end after this. We've got something cool to show you uh, after this, though. But uh, our... Um, story that kind of has us scratching our head here from Gizmodo. Florida police allegedly crashed funeral home to unlock phone with slain man's fingerprints. So uh, during the course of an investigation, uh, they weren't able to get all the information they needed uh, from this gentleman's phone. So they thought, let's go to the funeral parlor. He's still got his thumbs. Um, apparently, though, it didn't work. Yeah, so there's you, a, you need heat, right? There's a few different reasons why it didn't work. Um, body temperature is one of those reasons. Yeah. Also, on an iPhone, uh, on an iPhone specifically, if it's been more than 48 hours since the phone's been unlocked with a fingerprint, the chip that stores it, the, the TPM or whatever security module does Apple uses that stores the fingerprint, locks itself. And so if you haven't unlocked with a fingerprint in 48 hours, you have to punch in your PIN number as well. Hmm. So... Uh, the, the dead body trick works right away if you're in a hurry. I mean, not, not that I would know, but if you're in a hurry and you me. can yeah. wipe away enough of the blood, it works. Yeah. But, uh, but in this case, I mean, he was already at the funeral home, so it's been over 40 hours. They yeah. should have known it wouldn't have worked before going into it. So this was probably just a case of local detectives who thought they'd give it a shot. I would be shocked to find out that this wasn't happening on a regular basis across the entire country because we, we've heard other instances where yeah. they've, they've used a, uh, a person's body, uh, well, after they were deceased, to then unlock their phone. Um, what was really interesting about this article, and I know we made fun of Gizmodo a little earlier, is that they did do some pretty good research and they reached out to some, some legal bodies and uh, got some great information on the fact – there's a good quote in here somewhere – that uh, once you have died, you no longer have yeah, rights yeah. under the U.S. Constitution. Um, yeah, the yeah. Fifth Amendment protections uh, don't don't apply to, I guess, non-existing people. Yeah, so the, there were a few neat points here. So one was that the courts ruled that uh, fingerprint-based security is really no different than a lock and key or any other type of security, um, uh, and that uh, police officers are allowed to use that to unlock your phone. Uh, but the other thing was that once you've once you've died, you really no longer have any rights. 
and so the police didn't break the law. They just broke um, good taste, right? Like uh, apparently the uh, was it the the gentleman's wife or sister was there? I think it was the wife that said, yeah. I mean, because obviously there was a point where they would have had possession of the body, and then they released the body to the funeral home. So early on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because, you know, like you said, uh, if, if, uh, if they need to get in your home after afterwards, they don't need a warrant, uh, you know, after after you're deceased to go into your home at that point to, to do the investigation. Same goes for the phone here, but just the, the process uh, was a little flawed. And, and while legal, as you mentioned, uh, they should have known better that it's not going to work. Yeah, and so this is not a not a crime of law, but a crime of tact. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that counts or not. Uh, exactly. But yeah. Well, normally I'm really good at segues, and I don't have one uh, right now <laughs> for that because that's just a, a weird story. But we wanted to uh, for this uh, what did I call it semi centennial semi centennial show. Uh, we thought we'd give viewers a little bit of a tour around the office. So uh, for those of you that are listening to this podcast, because about half of the people listen, half of them uh, watch, this is going to be a weird segment for you. So we'll try to explain as much as we can but if you do get an opportunity and you do do normally listen uh maybe go and check that check out this episode on youtube as well so you can see um some of the things here because don has set up a really cool office uh that is an office slash studio so uh so where do we want to start brad what do we what do we have lined up first uh oh th- this is uh one of the, <laughs> the best shelves here so and th- this is a new addition right uh yeah i uh I, I just got my Stay Puft Marshmallow Man yesterday. It was on clearance at Toys R Us. I was very proud of my find. <laughs> did, you, did you go with the kids, or is this just a normal uh, Wednesday uh, for you? Uh, one of my, my my youngest son, his birthday is coming up, ah, so I was okay. doing present shopping for him and just happened to see the Stay Puft. Now, the uh, uh, the other, the little Funko Pops of uh, Vankman and Stance, I've had those for quite some time. Yeah, and you got the, the gatekeeper and the, uh, the, key, the master. key master as well, and... Oh, and <laughs> I know there's more in this office, but it seems like we have a theme here, and everyone. Uh, so this I'm doesn't sure normally show up is. on camera. My yeah. my life size reproduction of Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters Two. Yeah, and uh, standing of course <laughs> over a, a river of slime, uh, which um, you know uh, tries to take over New York, and in part two, which is one of the better sequels, uh, in in my opinion, it it stands the test of time for sure. Um, We've got uh, an, another shelf here uh, just below the State Puff Marshmallow Man with uh, some Weird Al memorabilia here. And uh, I'd like, uh, like the people at home to see if they can think of why there's a signed spatula. But, Don, can you explain why it's a spatula that's signed? So um, I, I, I uh, had the chance to meet Weird Al a couple of years ago. Uh, well, I guess you can see on my past there in, in 2016. And... Um, I, I knew I was going to have the chance to meet him, so I wanted to get a signature, and I thought it would be perfect to get a signature on a spatula, which if you've ever seen the movie UHF, then you know what that's from, because it was the commercial for Spatula City in there, and, uh, and he told me that apparently that's the first time he's had to sign a spatula. And so I, I, uh, I, I let him experience something new. Yeah, I bet it won't be the last. We've got, <laughs> um, you know, other variety of stuff. We've got some uh, Deep Space Nine stuff on top. Is that Absolutely. what that is? Okay. Yeah. And uh, a nice collection of, of, uh, of Johnny Walker scotches uh, that uh, <laughs> are unfortunately all empty. Greasing uh, the wheels of IT. <laughs> I've checked several times. All empty. Um, we have some, some other Star Trek. Uh, is, that, is it all Deep Space Nine stuff? 
yeah, all of those um, those are all signed from various conventions. Uh, but the models then on the left there as well, uh, yes, right above your yep. head. Okay, and uh, and then on the bottom shelf here, if we can kind of come down a little bit, uh, <laughs> we've got a lot of of classic um, software that. Are these things that you owned and, and oh, save yeah. the boxes to? Yeah, uh, most of this stuff. Uh, I've got several versions of Red Hat that I bought over the years, as you know, as I was using it. Which uh, they don't yeah, they don't right. sell it in a box anymore like right they used there. to. Yeah. Um, but I've got uh, every version of OS two. I used to love OS two, and that one kind of shut down. So I've oh, got all those. Is, yeah. um, and and your favorite, you were saying, is uh, up on the shelf by the Rubik's cubes. I, I know we're making making Brad do overtime <laughs> over here, but you have. A copy, a boxed copy of Microsoft, Microsoft Bob. Microsoft Bob, yeah, and and that 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 one will kind of separate the young from the old on this one. Uh, if you are over, I don't know, maybe forty years old, then you should know Microsoft Bob. It was one of Microsoft's failed products that was supposed to be a easier user interface for Windows three. Uh, I've, I've held on to my copy all these years. And and I have some space here as well, and, and I was promised more space. I keep um, failing to bring in the items I have. I'm, I'm actually in the process of moving, so uh, I think this would be a good opportunity to bring some stuff in. I've got um, my favorite film is Back to the Future, and I brought in some of my Back to the Future stuff right here. I've got Doc and, uh, and Marty, um, and then I, I recently acquired a little hoverboard from a friend, so... Got, went ahead and tossed them up there, and I've got the actual Pepsi. Um, not well, not the one the actual one Pepsi. used, but uh, they did a contest back in 2015 uh, where they gave out some of those bottles uh, of the Pepsi that he got in the cafe 80s uh, when he went to the future, and it's uh, hiding uh, just the most adorable little Cthulhu back there. Everybody loves <laughs> Cthulhu, right? Yeah, <laughs> when he looks like that, sure. But uh, yeah, so um, so that's a little bit of the office. There's a lot of other stuff around. Some cool hats and. Um, Don, I know you save all of your lanyards from the shows you go to, and we've got the, the server rack with uh, with some really cool plates um, there. But I know some people have asked in the YouTube comments um, about, hey, what's that behind Don? Or uh, we did have someone actually say, is, is that a Weird Al spatula? So, um, you know, that's always fun <laughs> to see. So we wanted to definitely give you guys an opportunity to, to see what's here. And if you have any questions or, you know, want to know what something is, uh, Definitely reach out to us in the comments and and let us know, and we'll be happy to uh, to dive in there. These cameras they zoom in like crazy, so we can <laughs> we can get in there and and check out the authenticity of any of those signatures for you and and see what works. But Don, anything else we want to talk about? I think that's about it for news this week. You know, uh, definitely tune back in next week because I'm sure we'll start to see. Uh, Apple news is going to get pretty thin right up before WWDC, yeah. and then we'll get a, just a flood of news there. Uh, so look out for that. But otherwise, lots of, of really cool things that are coming out. Uh, yeah, just tune back in. All right, and hope everybody is uh, is all set on GDPR. We'll let you know about our next webinar coming up. We just had uh, one on that. But uh, if you do want to check out IT Pro TV, uh, you can definitely do it with our coupon code WEBINAR30. Save 30% there, so definitely a great way to get started and save a little money while you're doing it. Uh, as for the podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, share, and do all those things. And uh, for Don, I'm Peter, and uh, protect your thumbs, everyone. <laughs>